Hello, this is Eric, your DM, and welcome to the Punch Bowl, our interview segment on Join the Party, which is back, 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 back again, again, again. Even on our off weeks, I'm thinking about Dungeons & Dragons. Like, how long would it take to make a six-foot-tall Master Chief mini? Is it even a mini at that point? Probably not. But I'm also thinking about what it's like to be a player in 2020 and beyond, so I figured I'd put that to good use and talk to those who are pushing the game forward. I don't remember the first time I watched a Dimension 20 episode, but I remember the setting. It was six high school adventurers fighting a possessed lunch lady and a creamed corn homunculus. And I could see all of that on video because of this amazingly detailed playset that they had in front of the players. There was a powered ladle, there were kernels of corn in the gross homunculus, there were sticky lunch tables to jump on, there was everything in front of them. And that environment was rendered by the hard work and guidance of Rick Perry. He leads the team that is responsible for how Dimension 20 looks on screen, and I needed to know everything that went into that. Now, if you haven't watched any episodes of the Dimension 20 stories, go do that, please. But here is a quick summary of the stories that Rick and his team have rendered into plastic and paint. There's Fantasy High, which is a mashup of a fantasy world and a John Hughes team movie. There's Escape from the Blood Keep, which follows the evil lieutenants of a Lord of the Rings-style bad god villain. Unsleeping City is a magical realism story set in New York City. Tiny Heist is a heist, like Ocean's Eleven, but like Borrower-style Tiny World. And the current campaign is a crown of candy. Think Game of Thrones, but it's set in a world where everyone and everything is food. We also talk about Brennan quite a few times, and that is Brennan Lee Mulligan, the Dungeon Master of the Dimension 20 game series, and past Punchball guest. You should go listen to that. So, once I show Rick all of my minis and then carefully put them back in their cases, Rick told me all of the secrets of how to make a D&D world real. Rick, this is so amazing to talk to you. How are you doing, man? Good. Howdy. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Absolutely. I think people don't know how important your work and your team's work is to Dimension 20. And the first thing I want to ask you is, hey, what's your job? Uh, sure. So I'm the production designer, uh, which means I'm the head of the art department. So I have a team of people that uh, work with me to make all the stuff that you see, the set, the table, the miniatures. And uh, I work with Brennan and the producers and um, the director to figure out what all we need to make. And then I also uh, am a creative producer on the show, so I'm uh, working with Brennan early on, you know, kind of helping shape the arc a little bit when it comes to the battles and how it all fits together. Let's say it's like a few months before the campaign is about to start. Brennan comes to you and says, hey, I have this idea and it's going to be magical New York. How does your production and your team kind of like spin up? How does the process start? Well, first, you know, when we start a season, um, Brynn and I spent a lot of time uh, in a room with a big whiteboard, or at least that's one of the ways that we worked. That's the way that we worked for Unsleeping City with uh, David Kearns in there, usually, and uh, Mike Schaubach, who's the director. We're just kind of gritting out the battles. So, you know, episode two, episode four, et cetera, and things are moving around, a lot of kind of spitballing and ideas, and that way we can kind of see it all. Then we can move monsters or concepts back and forth. That's super early on. So, and that that's only half of the episodes, though, because, you know, usually the playing episodes are the other half. So that's stuff that I don't really have a lot of input on, but, you know, Brennan's cooking that stuff up in the background, and then 
we're working together on all the battle episodes. As you and Brennan are working together, collaborating with that, can you tell me just a little bit more about that? How are you able to visualize what is going to come into this? Because for those of you who haven't watched Dimension 20, which you absolutely need to, please go watch Dimension 20 now. You've had everything from car chases to flying to fighting a rat king. Everything kind of stems from Brennan's beautiful brain, you know. <laughs> he, uh, the guy is a genius, and... Um, the stuff that he comes in with blows me away every time. I'm always tickled to hear what stuff he's come up with. You know, he's like, oh, I want to I want to have this battle or, you know, we're definitely going to have these guys somewhere. And this is, you know, there's they're coming in as elements. Probably the way a lot of people come up with their campaigns, you know, actually is just sort of like themes, broad stroke stuff. You know, um, if we know it's set in New York City, then like, OK, well, where, where do we want to be? We want to be in Times Square. We want to be in the subway. And then, you know, we just sort of start punch listing things that we feel are strong elements. They're also kind of modular and they can kind of shift around a little bit. We can say, well, what if we have these guys here or the subway fight happens with ghost cops or whatever it is. We put all these things onto a big board and that allows us to kind of see everything at once because, you know, as any DM knows, any given campaign has countless elements to it, countless characters and NPCs and different elements that it's really hard to keep track of. And that's a way that we can kind of seem all at once and shuffle them around if we need to. So it sounds like you play D&D yourself. I do play D&D, yeah. I uh, played D&D for a long time. I actually had just gotten back into D&D like about a year or so before um, I first met with Call Chimmer about the show. So that was fortuitous timing. But uh, yeah, I, I run a couple of campaigns. I playing a D&D campaign. I play in a Dark Sun 5e campaign. I've been running uh, Zweihander for a group of friends uh, here. That's a lot of fun. Do you visualize your own D&D campaigns? Because I think that what's so interesting about Dimension 20 is that since there is an audience watching, you're really going above and beyond to visualize what's happening because of how fantastical in so many different ways the show is. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a super visually oriented person and it uh, goes to everything that I work on or, you know, collaborate on. You know, I like to think I'm a good describer of things from a visual or experiential kind of way. And I, I certainly think about things that way in my own games. Even when I'm playing or DMing, I'm trying to like add something or build on the kind of shared experience in some kind of uh textural way, whether it's visual or smell or whatever types of things, for sure. Textual is a really interesting way to think of it, because the most recent two campaigns that y'all have been running, Tiny Heist, which is literal like borrowers shrunken down miniatures, and now Crown of Candy, where it is organic, like food people. Like, it all feels very crunchy in your hands. I'm so interested in how Dimension 20 has, like, moved towards the most bananas, like, textual sort of uh, themes and tone. Yeah. Uh, we have done some really wild stuff. Uh, uh, Tiny Heist, for those of you that haven't seen it, it's uh, set in a world that normally a miniature is about an inch tall or so. And uh, in Tiny Heist, the the characters and all the, the people were actually living in a, in a world where they're an inch tall, just like the borrowers. So... That was kind of um, a hard thing to uh, wrap our heads around, just how to make miniatures, but actually make them in real scale and make them with things of the real world, such as grass or sticks or dirt or bobbins or whatever. But it, but it has to actually be fake because it's on a set. So it was <laughs> really weird, 
way to think about things. What do you mean? I guess I've never like wrapped my head around that because we're a podcast. So like, I don't think about that stuff. Sure. Yes. Like for instance, in um, crown of candy, like, you know, you have this set that is made out of food. The whole world is food, whether it's the Ceresians in the grain kingdom or the candy people or little cupcakes or whatever, everything's made out of food, but you can't actually use food because of course it will rot, you know, over the months that this thing takes place to, to film and stuff. So you have to find or bake the things that will uh, stand in for that, you know, and, and they have to just be, you know, plastic or whatever material. Yeah, I would love to know what goes into making some of this stuff in a crown of candy, because I think it's the most visually ambitious thing that you've all tried to tackle. Because it's one thing, the the minis is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a rat man. Like, yeah, I think Hero Forge can send me a rat man or... <laughs> I'm going to make a, a giant demon with a guitar. Like, okay, I guess I can do that. Where do you start by trying to create food people? Like, I truly would not even know where to start. Yeah, good question. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Rick, there is no one else who can answer this question other than you. That's the question that I'm asked, you know, occasionally is like, how do we do, is there like one place or one way that we make minis or whatever? And in general, we're always using all means available to us, which means sometimes we buy things off the shelf, find the perfect mini from Reaper or somewhere. A lot of times we make stuff on Hero Forge. Sometimes we are kit bashing things from different minis together. Sometimes we're doing um, a custom mini that's, you know, a 3D um, sculptor has made that we print out. Sometimes we actually sculpt from scratch, you know, like two-part epoxies and things like that. So whatever gets the job done, you know, easier is better from a cost and time perspective as long as it's cool, you know. Yes, for uh, Crown of Candy, it's a uh, completely <laughs> unique and fresh creative problem to figure out. So early on, I, I started just kind of brute force searching the internet for miniature food stuff from like um, dollhouses, you know, they, mm. they have their, their scale and um, so we were looking at all of that stuff, but a lot of the dollhouse stuff is a little bit pricey because it's handmade. But what I ended up doing was finding a lot of these, um, they're called cabochons or um, slime beads. Mm. So they're these little plastic um, foods, like a little, little French fries or a burger or a little piece of candy that sometimes they're just one-sided little plastic things that you could glue on something to decorate it, like to decorate the back of your phone or, or whatever. We just kind of found a bunch as much as those and then cut them up and glued them together and painted them. Essentially, is how we got most of the food people. Interesting. I would love to talk about the DM screens that you put together because I think that that really sets the tone for every single one of the campaigns. Because in episode one, that's the first thing you see. Hey, go fucking watch Dimension 20 at this point if you're not. But if you haven't seen it, the odd-numbered episodes are the role-playing episodes and the even-number episodes are the battle episodes that have the majority of the minis that Rick works on. Brennan has this incredibly elaborate DM screen for every single one of the campaigns that, like, the general setting or the theme or the tone that you're going to put out there for a crown of candy. It's just this like modular rock candy, beautiful visualization of all of these foods in plastine. When you approach these DM screens, like how much do you think about the tone and establishing the tone of the campaign? Like, what are you trying to convey through with these DM screens? Yeah. Well, a lot of, uh, a lot of discussion goes into the DM screen because um, it's a static thing, you know, that's going to be, 
you see a piece of it in almost every shot. It's a it's a major element of the set. Um, uh, it certainly kind of features heavily in in the shot of Brennan, um, and that centerpiece is always something that is sort of you know super important to kind of dial in, and uh, it's it somehow has to represent the whole show, even though it's you know the show is is an improvisation. You know, it's interesting to try and figure out what's going to be on it before the the game has really started. For Crown of Candy, you know, we early on we knew that we needed some additional visual elements that we didn't have necessarily at the start in the other campaigns, including this map that this guy John Pintard did for us. And so that was like a thing we did really early on, and it was kind of a touchstone, and it, it just seemed like such a Game of Thrones kind of thing. And so then we were like, okay, well, we should represent the different kingdoms in this DM screen. So the centerpiece is. The uh, castle candy uh, in the wings. You have each. You have the the Dairy Isles and Ceresia and Vegetania and uh, Fructera are there as well. I will say I really like hearing you say the name of the lands because, like, Brent, I have, from what I've seen so far, it just hasn't been said yet. And I'm like, oh hell yeah, those are the names of the lands. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. The lore of all this stuff is so much fun. It's such a treat to. Uh, get to world build with Brennan, you know, and um, it's great when he just drops stuff. Like, well, what's it, what's this place called? You know, it's a, that's actually a lot of how this stuff happens is either he hasn't noticed that a certain thing needs to be figured out yet, or he just hasn't given me that information yet. I'm like, Hey, what's, what's this river called? Or I need a, a name for a lake or can this be the butter lake or whatever? That's amazing. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, so we just decided to represent it that way. I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, we are done some interesting things with scale this season in the miniatures that we haven't done before. During that research, I saw these teeny tiny scale miniatures for these little buildings and things that are represented on the wings. So we use these super tiny scale, like one two thousandth scale buildings and stuff for um, the different kingdoms. And uh, all the food is is from uh, molds. Like we got these soap molds and different kind of food molds, and and then cast donuts and cookies and bananas and hot dogs and and everything, and then assembled them all together and painted them uh, like that. So that's how we got that effect. I can listen to you talk about how you visualize this stuff all day, but I know it's not just you. So what yeah. does every single person on your team do, and how do all of you work in concert to put this stuff together? there's no way that I could ever make all this stuff myself. Um, and I, I'm lucky enough to work with people who are way more skilled and talented than me at all these uh, miniatures and things. Um, we work with a lot of professional model makers that are based in Los Angeles, you know, who work on stop motion shows or, you know, make props professionally or whatever. But most everyone on our crew also has like a, a serious interest in Dungeons and Dragons and they, they all play games themselves and stuff. So we have a, a kind of a dream team. Sabrina Wishner has been our lead model maker for all the seasons so far. So she helps me run the shop and she also does most of the fabrication. She does a lot of the custom things because we, we use a lot of kits where we can, um, terrain mm -hmm. kits, you know, like like a little staircase or whatever, a bookshelf, but a lot of times we have to just make things from scratch, and she's a, a wizard at that stuff. Nathan of Villarreal is our senior miniatures painter, so he's like a super experienced minis painter, and he does kind of all of our higher-end paint jobs on the figures, all the player characters and kind of major NPCs and villains um, usually go through uh, Nathan. Shane Brockway is our, our lead painter, and he kind of makes sure that everything gets done. 
I think he painted something like 200 miniatures for Crown of Candy. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, like, when you're doing, like, a Game of Thrones type of thing, like, all these different um, factions have, like, you know, legions of soldiers. They have these large retinues. And so, you know, we knew right away that in one way it's a little simpler because, you know, the soldier might look the same as the next soldier and it's just a matter of like changing an arm pose or a different hat or something, but they still all have to be <laughs> assembled and painted, you know? So, mm-hmm. and um, Helen Bell is our department coordinator. So she helps us keep track of all the purchases and shipping and make sure everybody gets their time cards and all that kind of stuff. And Maxie Beber is on set when they're actually shooting the miniatures. And uh, he also helps, you probably have noticed this, but you know, one thing we do is that's a little different is uh, after they play a, a session, the director and the camera team come in and recreate the session in close up and they shoot these beautiful uh, miniature shots of, yeah. of everything. And so Maxi is there on set with um, the camera and director improvising little things or making the effects and things that help kind of sweeten up all those shots. That is actually something I found so helpful to me as someone who's watching this Dungeons & Dragons game. I, I spend a lot of time thinking about like the relationship of the audience to the game itself and the recreations so that like it's like the camera is going to be our eye and you really are putting this together. Like where did that idea come from having these recreations happen? It's interesting because, you know, way back before the first season um, when we were kind of all – I was lucky enough to come along early um, when they were kind of figuring out what the show – was going to be and it was sort of a dream job in a certain way because uh culture was really great to work with they were super collaborative and open to ideas and stuff and um so you know we went through a few different versions i think one idea was that everything would be like kind of virtual almost that there would be like um a board that had abstract markers on it and that it would actually be recreated in like a 3d space that like 3d artists would make so that there would be very little in the way of physical miniatures mm-hmm. but that it would be more of a digital world so then we started talking about miniatures and we actually did a couple of different test sessions where i brought in a bunch of borrowed miniatures from a local game store and train and stuff and set it up and and uh they you know, tried different cameras. And I think it became pretty clear that like, it was really dynamic, really interesting and a really uh, unique way to do it that not a lot of other people are out there doing, you know? Mm. No, a hundred percent. And I think that the visualization there, you managed to solve a lot of interesting problems. The things that I always come back to about how interesting everything works whenever there's flying, there was a lot of flying in parts of Unsleeping City, and the way that you did this were these incredible extending poles that I had never seen before. When there is a problem, or when there is like a, hey, how do we do this? Like, how do you approach a problem like that? Yeah, I mean, we're also always trying to bring in new things, too. Like, we did a we did a car chase last season. We should do something in the air this time, you know. Trying to pursue those things and keep it interesting and mix it up leads us to find, you know, whatever new new stuff is out there, new products or or just things that people have already made that maybe no one has really gotten to see yet. Like for instance, those flight stands come from this guy, I think he's in Georgia, his company called Corsic Engineering that he makes those stands. He actually stopped making them, unfortunately, but uh they're great. But I think it's about not only trying to recreate the thing in miniature that should happen in real life, but it's like doing the most user-friendly, like audience-appropriate thing. 
are you always considering how the audiences look at this when you try to solve these problems? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of thinking that goes into it because, you know, I'm thinking about it visually, like it has to look cool, you know, it has to be visually fun. The players have to be able to understand what's going on in an intuitive way because the set is feeding back to them. The set is also mm-hmm. telling them things and describing things to them and providing them with ideas or opportunities. It's a collaborator with them in a certain way. You also don't want to put stuff out there that's going to mislead them or derail things. You kind of have to think about think about it from a player's perspective. Um, but then, yeah, you also think about the audience, how they're seeing it, how it, it has to communicate clearly. Another aspect that you probably don't realize is that uh, most of the sets are all magnetized together so that they can come apart for the camera team to get their camera or light in there and shoot. So it just is another layer oh my of God. <laughs> complexity. And another thing too is that, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think about players line of sight. Like they have to be able to see without, I'm trying not to get, make the players stand up all the time, you know, to look down in the sets, thinking about where Brennan can see how far his arm can reach from where he stands. The last thing is also thinking about camera angles because the way that the set is, it's like shot from 360 degrees, right? So there's these very narrow alleys where we try to keep open where the, where the camera sees. Mm-hmm. So it limits like the height of things in certain ways so that it doesn't block somebody's face or whatever. It's just other creative, interesting creative challenges that we uh, try to keep in mind. When we're having this interview, I've only seen two episodes of A Crown of Candy, and I will be devouring them as they come out. Get it? Devouring because it's food? Rick, do you get it? I get it. It's great. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. No spoilers. There's definitely some really interesting stuff coming that, um, that you guys have not seen before on Dimension 20, so stay tuned. I'm going to email you and be like, oh, shit, that's what you were talking about. <laughs> In like two months from now, you're going to be like, oh, who is this? I don't remember who this guy was. <laughs> please do. Please do. I just need to ask, in terms of numbers, how many minis do you order? Like, can you give me a ballpark about how many minis goes into a season? It varies a lot season to season because there's different needs, you know, like it depends on the strength of the bad guy, right? Like if you're, you're going to burn through like 30 goblins or you have, you know, three really strong casters or something, or, you know, it's um, a very season to season, but I will say this crown of candy by far, by a factor of two or three, uh, the number of minis of any previous season. You know, this actually leads into my next thing that I really wanted to ask you. Because this is very Game of Thrones, this is definitely like a high-peril sort of game. Do you have, like, if someone dies, do you have, like, backup minis? Like, how much do you have on backup just from the way that the story unfolds? It's definitely a grim season. You know, definitely that's part of it. And um, every season, you know, it's always a consideration. Like, well, what happens if someone dies? Or, you know, we're trying to be prepared for things that could come up, even if they don't come up. But I will say this season, we are we're way more prepared than we have ever been because of the kind of how we thought it would go down. Interesting. I'm trying I want to ask you questions, but like, I'm trying to, I don't, like, I don't even, I'm not even trying to spoil things. Like I don't even know yet. So I'm still trying to like wring things out of you too. I could tell you about past seasons a little. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about past seasons. Just like a player might have a backup character, do you have then have backup minis for those backup characters? Yeah. Well, it's varied season to season, you know, because I think the lethality of the um, 
of the seasons has has been something that has changed you know i think like mm-hmm. i don't I, like for instance to me tiny heist doesn't feel as lethal of a season just because of the nature of i don't know the aesthetic of it somehow although that maybe not wasn't the case but it just didn't seem that way so sure that was less of a concern i think for that season um in fantasy high i think that we if i remember correctly we had uh that's actually a question that we talked about early on to say, what happens if someone dies? Uh, no one's going to die, you know? <laughs> but then <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> things happen, and uh, we had, like, a set of angel wings uh, that we could stick onto a mini uh, in a pinch if we wanted someone to come back as an angel. So that's a, a trick there. And, you know, in um, Escape from the Blood Keep, we had this all-evil party, very lethal. The whole principle of it was sort of, like, survive. You know, we had an idea about how that whole season was going to end. And uh, it seemed like there was going to be some players that died. So for each one of those PCs, we had a uh, another print of their mini that was more like ghastly. It was painted as if it was like a spirit. And that one, we were, we were prepared for them to come out. Yeah, so it's a different strategy for every season. That's very cool. I think this is just like something that I've been fascinated by as you've churned out like devil greasers and rat kings and fantabulous turtles which mini did you have to turn around the fastest well you know probably the the quickest the the like tightest turnarounds are things that come out of left field when it's like yeah so fabian just um acquired a demonic motorcycle uh can we get a mini with fabian on a motorcycle and then I'm like thinking in my head, like, okay, but we also have to get one with just the motorcycle, you know, blah, blah, blah. how quick can I get that printed? And so, you know, things like that, where we have to turn them around, you know, in a couple of days, I think during Fantasy High, we were shooting a couple of times a week, I think we were shooting four episodes a week. So I had like a day, a couple of days downtime to make the hangman. But then there's sometimes there's things where it's like, we're shooting a couple episodes that day and in the morning, Brendan's like, hey, can we get a mini for this? <laughs> like <laughs> calling around. You know, who's got this giant spider or whatever, you know, you got to go pick it up, take it to the shop, paint it, Shane, bring it up here, you know, and then it comes in just in time sometimes. So that's amazing. I think I only have one last question. I had a feeling that maybe you would have a feeling about this in the second episode of Crown of Candy. As soon as Allie gets their mini, they immediately drop it and the head pops off. (laughs) What was the phone call to you like? When someone told you from set that the Liam Mini was immediately destroyed. Yeah. I was on set. I'm always on set when I can be for the taping. So I was like, you know, 20 feet away <laughs> watching on a monitor with headphones. You know, I figured, but like when you said that there was a shop, I just like the idea there's a big red phone where they have to call you. It's like, oh, we have to call Rick. <laughs> we should definitely get one of those this season. <laughs> no, yeah, it's definitely a lot of... Uh, cringing you know and um extreme silent facial expressions on my part when things like that happen you know you hate to have something break on set and those minis are are really fragile you know the things especially the the 3d printed ones are pretty fragile it happens you know and we put them back together and liam lived another day so there's just a use of this new camera that I just don't really remember. That there's a camera like above the players' hands that I saw like a bunch in the first two episodes, and I'm like, damn, they really want to put people on blast, huh? Because <laughs> it's just what players are fucking up. I think they started with the camera up there because it, you know, it, it helps when they recreate battles for the close-ups um, as a reference, a point of reference. But uh, 
it's a really great angle and it definitely is kind of exposing and shows everything that's going on at the table. So it's, that's kind of interesting to see, but yeah, those guys were on camera for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's the most distillation of D and D media. Those guys are on camera for sure. Rick, thank you so much for giving uh, us your time. Tiny heist and now a crown of candy. You're really outdoing yourself with how creative and how artistically like forward thinking these things are. So it's been amazing to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. It, it's uh, been a pleasure talking to you and I love, you know, getting to talk about this stuff. I love getting to do it and part of this kind of community and being in dialogue with, with guys like, you know, you guys with your show and it, it's just, uh, it feels like a really awesome place to uh, get to be creative awesome thank you so much um is there anywhere where people can find you on the internet i'm usually hanging out on twitter at richard h perry and uh sometimes i'll post behind the scenes stuff on there check it out awesome i already am and i'm super excited about it all right see you later rick adios have a good one